Magical readings, and welcome to episode 26 of the Loaded Cart Podcast. Join Paul, Daniel, and their occasional guests as they talk about the things they love and hate about video games and the gaming industry. In this week's episode, we talk about all things the Banner Saga in our game corner. Buckle up, it's a long one. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome once again to the Loaded Card Podcast. It's time once again for Game Corner, the Banner Saga. I am Paul of What's Paul Playing Today, and with me as always is Dan, otherwise known as Chop the Viking. What's up, buddy? Hey, not much, man. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to vacation. Otherwise, good. Yeah, yeah. We're uh, recording kind of the week before Christmas. Yeah. And we're on a time crunch. And, and all through the house. Shit's crazy. Not a teapot was stirring. I don't I don't know the rhyme. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so, what have you been playing lately? Um... Yes, lots of things. Uh, so I got the, ended up uh, getting a bunch of gift cards from uh, work for Amazon, and I picked up a PlayStation Four. So I've been playing uh, Bloodborne, which, as we all know, my deep love of the Soul series. Uh, Bloodborne is the PlayStation Four exclusive of the Soulsborne series, and, and I'm yeah. that was the only one you had not played. Correct? correct, correct. I played Demon Souls because I got a PS3 a long ass time ago, and Demon Souls is a P- PlayStation exclusive at the time. And I have Dark Souls one through three, and I've been just jumping back into my love of Dark Souls again. My buddy Roger picked it up, and we've been playing through that as well. Been playing Overwatch, and I've been playing so much. Like I've I've been doing nothing but playing games for the most part. What about you? Nice. Uh, I have not had that luxury. <laughs> I mean, having a family kind of kills your time. Yeah. Well, so I've mostly I've been playing. My time has been spent between three games. The first of which has been the Banner Saga. Like I basically spammed it and played yeah. through the game over the past week or so because yeah. that was when I finally had time to sit down and play it. And then I also have been playing our next game corner game, which we will announce later. Yes, uh, I'm a few hours into it, but most mostly I've like played for an hour, and then the rest of the time has just been like grinding up the uh, my party, so to speak, because that's what you do in this game that we yeah. will discuss later. Yes, uh, and then the third one I've been playing is League of Legends for a very particular reason, because right now it is their Christmas season in in their game, and which means there's an event that they call Snowdown. And Snowdown historically has featured my favorite game type, which is called Legend of the Poro King. And this year, when you didn't think Legend of the Poro King could get even more awesome than it already is, they basically gave the Poro King all of these crazy special attacks that you can give him. And it it, it just makes the game all the more crazy. And Paul's shrugging at me because he has no idea what the hell Legend of the Poro King is. I'm sure people who play League have every idea what you're talking about. These are just kind of words jumbled together to me. (laughs) So the the idea is it's played on the board that is referred to as ARAM. Uh, So All random, all mid. I know that one. 
So basically the idea is instead of having the two side lanes in the map that is yep. it's just Legends, it's everybody just, in the middle. It's just the center lane. Like there's no even option to go to the sides. It's a custom right. map that only right. has like a big center column. So mm-hmm. it makes the game a little more interesting in my opinion because it's a completely different game and True. all team fights all the time, which is gets really crazy and really hectic all the time and it's a lot of fun yeah um so where legend of the poro king makes it even crazier so you take a ram and then you add these things that are called poros they're like just these little weird puff balls that hop around and they're just a weird creature and you throw them at your opponents okay they're triples kind of that's a good analogy because they're they're little white fluff balls basically um but if you hit your opponent you get a buff where you can instantly teleport to wherever your opponent is okay because they get a little marker over their head and you, you how long does the buff last it's about 10 seconds maybe like okay. eight to 10 seconds it's it's pretty short window but it gives you a chance like you hit someone and you can dive in and you know Gotcha. It makes tanks really crazy because any kind of tank that has any kind of group stun can like basically teleport in, knock them out, yeah. and then just the entire party gets owned. Yeah, they don't get out. They can't be outranged because the range on the poros is literally almost the entire screen. Nice. Like it is, it is absolutely ridiculous how, and it's really narrow too. So you have to be really accurate. But what happens when your team hits the other team ten times? you summon the Poro King. So this big giant Poro comes down and tanks the turret. Like he'll tank all the turrets and all the enemy minions and he can kill enemy minions pretty easily. And he's has a shit ton of hit points and he will eat snowball, like eat all of the Poros. So as people try to throw Poros at you from the other team, he'll just vacuum them all up. So, okay. It, it prevents them basically from being able to use poros if you're anywhere nearby plus you have a secondary ability like other than throwing poros which is you instantly teleport to wherever the poro king is okay. so so you can again dive into your opponents and teleport back to the poro king before they can retaliate or even better when you die and you resurrect if your team has a poro king active you can instantly basically zap from the fountain to where the fight is and you don't have to you don't have to take the like minute and a half to run back you just bloop you're there in a couple of seconds so but what they did to make it a little crazier this year is that you can you have different varieties of biscuits and you feed the biscuits to the poro king and he gets crazy special abilities like launching a bunch of fireballs at people and can you throw a total biscuit at him no unfortunately not he doesn't like british people oh well can't have everything i guess no but it it actually made this game mode even more fun than it already was so it's been a ridiculous amount of fun playing it with friends so yeah fair enough all right anything else you've been playing um no that's kind of been about it that's fair all right i don't know how noteworthy it is but the only bit of news i've had is that i've been keeping a close eye on overwatch and if anybody of our any of our listeners or fans out there apparently terry cruz recently visited blizzard hq and had a really really good visit about it so it's been rumored that he's going to be the next uh the next uh character uh doomhammer specifically so hopefully that actually turns out and if he doesn't get an emote that bounces his pecs i'm gonna be really pissed off yeah it'd be kind of funny that's the only bit of news I had. I don't know if you had anything either. League of Legends, Riot Games just signed a deal with Major League Baseball Advanced Media. 
Yes. And it's a $50 million annual deal that MLB, a subsidiary of MLB Advanced Media will work with Riot Games on the monetization and commercialization of League of Legends. Sweet. Sounds like fun. Good for them. So it's a, apparently a streaming provider and yeah, so. Yeah, be- it sounds great. Sounds like a really good thing for their esports, which yeah, is anything that furthers exactly. major league gaming will be great. I'm fine with this. I'm just apparently a bunch of professional sports teams own esports teams now. Yeah, I know that um like, the Cavs so own like the Cavs own one of them, I think. The Philadelphia 76ers own two different teams. They picked up uh Team Dignitas and Team Apex and merged them together into one team. There's a player for the Boston Celtics named Jonas Jerbko, I think, uh, okay. bought the Renegades, which is another team. I'm not nearly as familiar with NBA as I am with and then, the NFL. Oh, what the hell is his name? Is it? It's not Jeff Fox. There's a basketball player who's an actor whose name is last name is Fox, and he used to play for the Lakers. Got me. He Sorry. owns part of the team that is called Echo Fox because duh, it's a sure. But yeah, there's there's a several big people that are starting to get involved, which is kind of also kind of really interesting. Fair enough. I was just glancing at the news. There's also a uh, apparently a 2016 holiday sale for Star Citizen. <sighs> okay, on to the main topic. <laughs> oh wait, sorry. No, we have questions today. Yeah, we have we have a question today. Well, I wanted to make it sound like we we're more important. Oh, I honestly. I honestly don't know the answer to this one, even though you gave me time to think about it before you left. Uh, yeah. Hops and Heroes wrote into us, what will be your first game purchase of 2017? I barely even think about what I'm going to put on for f- clothes tomorrow morning. And you're asking what I'm going to order next month? I don't fucking know, dude. I'm sorry. Unlike Paul, I actually theoretically have an answer to this. Hey, eat shit. <laughs> So I've had two games I've been looking at for a while that I think I'm going to pick up at some point. And I haven't decided when this is going to be, but they'll probably be the first couple that I'm looking to get next year. And neither of them are released in 2017. They're going to be, you know, games that are released in 2016 that I'm going to pick up. Um, Sure. But one of them is a... Uh, they're they're both roguelike which is kind of makes them kind of interesting like in roguelike just as in they are procedurally generated okay not that they're actual you know roguelikes of course but one of them is called necropolis and it's by harebrained schemes and it's essentially supposed to be like a completely randomized dark souls kind of game like it's that style of game where it's you know really hard and methodical and like that's people like to compare it for some reason i don't know people like to compare everything to dark souls nowadays that'll make it true but it looks fun and it's got a really cool art style and i really like the harebrained schemes guys so i it's it's been a game that's been on my radar for a while and i haven't had a chance to pick it up yet so yeah i ended up picking it up on when it was on sale during the winter sale no it was the Somewhere in October. Anyway, pick that one up already. So, and then the other one is called "The Flame in the Flood," and I know I've heard this one. I, I sent you videos on this one. Like, dude, we need to play this game at some point because it's 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 hard to explain. So basically, there's videos. there's a a big flood, duh, and it's kind of like you're kind of like Huck finning it. So like you are traveling oh, around okay. on a raft down a river and 
everything's procedurally generated as you come to it and you're basically just trying to survive in this flooded apocalypse yep, yep, yep. and i'm with you now i remember this it just looks kind of cool like it's it does I, every fun. every time i look at it it's kind of like oh that would be kind of cool that seems and, like fun yeah it's yeah. like water world except good and on a river there was flooding you know the world is but, just just go with it okay just go there's there's land shh, shh, just go with it there was land in water world too until uh-huh. the end but still main topic all right we'll do the main topic so Yay. dig me out of this awkward corner yes <laughs> the, the awkward corner of awkwardness pretty much where i fucking live indeed so as usual with our game corner games the first half of this episode is going to be as spoiler free as we can possibly make it and may I also put out a warning this might be really long yes we we were looking at our notes and Either we're going to nail this stuff and go through it really quick and be like, oh, cool, this is going to go a lot shorter than we thought, or it's going to be like seven hours later. I, I don't know about seven, but certainly might be contending for longest episode ever. Maybe, maybe. So strap yourselves in, motherfuckers. Grab a drink and let's do this. Indeed. So, yeah, so spoiler-free as possible. Uh, we're going to spend the first half talking about like the mechanics of the game and reasons why you should play it and stuff like that and what makes the game good. And then the second half will will give you a nice giant spoiler warning, and then we'll enter Spoilerville and talk about the actual plot of the game. And you can either stay with us, or you can take a break and go play it and come back, or you know whatever. So we'll give you a uh, big warning. We'll say it's not a very long game, so if you do end up trying to uh, pick it up, uh, just make sure to give us give yourself some ample time. Maybe about I, I'd say a week of evenings playing the game, just to give yourself some time to play it. So. I have a total of 18 hours in the game. All right. Comparison speaking. Let's let's see here. Since we're going to compare. All right. Well, it's not really comparing. It's just to let them know. Like, I, I put 18 hours into it. and I put I, a total of eight. Yeah. So there's a reason for this, kind of. Yeah. So we'll, 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 we'll get into that in a little bit. <laughs> First, I, I think we both agree on this. The art style is absolutely breathtaking. Yeah. Yes, the the art style is really really cool. It almost comes across as like a graphic, like a a video novel, basically almost. Yeah. It's a visual really, novel, I think is the yeah. term. And it's really, it's just good. Like the combat is really good. Mm-hmm. I made a note that I like. It reminds me of Dragon's Lair, but with more game. Like, yeah, it is, at least the visually. Kind of, yeah, yeah, it's that kind of like hand drawn seventies style animation almost to the characters during combat. Like Don Bluth sat down yeah. and made a an RPG, a tactical RPG, this would be it. Yeah, it is. And it's like the graphics and the music, which we'll get to in a second, like those yeah. two things alone, just like, yep, play this game. It's totally yeah. worth it yes. just to sit there and kind of drool a little bit over the stuff. And I believe actually that you can purchase a soundtrack, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Th- there is a soundtrack. It should be on Steam. Yes, I- it is. Actually, I am... Wow, it is uh, almost half the price of the game. It is seven ninety nine for this for the soundtrack itself. That is a lot of money. It that's a little higher than I would want to pay, but I think it's I could see myself paying it and not being too upset by it. Well, I got it with Kickstarter, but you kind of sure, can't do that sure. now. <laughs> no, that's that's not that, really that, an option. That metaphorical ship has sailed three or four years ago. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, this was a pretty early Kickstarter yeah. title. And and I'm so glad it flourished so well because yeah. I very much enjoyed this game. That's and not a spoiler. That's just flat enjoyment. And it did so well 
they made a sequel, Banner Saga 2, without crowdfunding. Yep. Like the the first game paid for the second game, which is fantastic. And and these the dividends for both, I'm sure, have been very nice for the company. Yeah. And I believe a crew of basically three guys in Austin, Texas. And I think they all, at least a couple of them, used to work for Bioware. So like kind of does show in the story of the game, like and, absolutely and how rich absolutely. the crazy background is of the game. Yeah, they are called Stoic Entertainment. Mm-hmm. They're published by Versus Equal. I like that. I like that a lot. Next bit is the gameplay itself is kind of three different phases. So you've got, uh, if you're familiar with uh, Final Fantasy Tactics or Fire Emblem or Advanced Wars that we've talked about in the past, it is very much like that. You've got tactical turn-based combat. Uh, it's, I, I'd say it's kind of tactical squad-based combat. So you ta- your, your team takes a turn, then their team takes a turn, and it goes through that phase as opposed to individuals taking turns. So you basically move a certain number of squares, you either attack or do some other action, and then you move to the next team member, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So you can either damage their health or break their armor. So the interesting bit here is that armor has kind of an effect of it is just straight damage mitigation. Basically, every point of armor someone has reduces the damage done to them by one point down yeah. to one. It can, you can never reduce it to zero. Right, right. But it's extremely difficult when you have the dredge who are just basically walking sentinels of armor. Yeah, there are... On normal difficulty, the dredge with shields have between 17 and 20 armor, I think. And it's crazy. It's, yeah, it's pretty nuts. <laughs> so with that, you can either attack their health directly, which if they go down to zero health, they're dead. Or you can break their armor, which you pretty much need to do with the dredge in order to get them down to a point yeah. where you actually can physically harm them. So with that, it's... Uh, the interesting mechanic here that I thought was kind of, I don't know if innovative is the right word for it, but it's a different idea. Yeah. You deal damage based on how much health you have left. It's, it, I guess, I think it, they called it strength. Yeah. So, based on how much strength you have left, as a character is hurt and harmed in, in battle, they become less effective and less damaging, which I thought was an interesting mechanic. Yeah. But that's not how you do damage to their armor. Like, there is Correct. literally a stat that you have that is break armor and the amount of armor you can break per hit is based on your break armor stat. Yeah, which uh, is something that I jacked up almost immediately on almost yes. every character. As, as soon, basically, like as soon as you figure out that that exists, that's you max it out. Yes. That and how much willpower you can spend per turn. Like those, yep. those immediately get maxed because basically the max for almost anyone is three. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple of exceptions with uh, usually with uh, with uh, Varl, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, willpower, however, is really kind of neat. It allows you to move extra spaces, do extra damage, break extra armor, use your special abilities, etc. And there's yeah. that uh, really cool mechanic where there's a a horn at the top of the screen, essentially yeah. like a battle horn that is built up willpower that you can give to people. Yeah, and you build that like every time I think you kill someone you build a, you build a point of willpower like yes. it, and then you can just randomly use it with whoever needs it at the time needs an extra point of willpower you just kind of like click on them and click on it and it right just kind of goes. And and I think I I don't recall it's been a while since I played the game. I think I finished this about a month ago to be honest with you. So I'm not sure if you can give them extra like 
give them a certain amount of willpower or what? I did always forgot to use this because after a while, you just didn't need to. Just built up everything. It was yeah, kind of crazy. But you can't take them over what their max willpower is based on their stat. Right, right. But you can get. I think you can give them more than one piece of willpower Correct. from the I horn. So. Mm -hmm. so you can only have uh, in in your party, your war party, which is essentially every combat you have. You can only have up to six people total. Right. Like no matter how many people you have in your caravan, you can only take six people into combat. Yeah, and I mean there are times where you have nearly like twenty people. It is. It does get kind of ridiculous. It's it's very much like Final Fantasy Tactics in that, where you do build up a good roster of characters. And I had at least a dozen people that never saw combat, or maybe saw combat once. Same here. Same here. I, I think um, some of the characters never touched combat, and yeah. once I got to a certain point, one character just said, just knocked somebody else out of the party forever. Yeah. That's basically what happened is like you had you had your set people and then someone else will come along and be like, oh, yeah, you're awesome here. You, you're you yep. no longer in the party. and yeah. You're a healer and you can deal damage. Yeah, you're welcome to the party forever, pal. <laughs> basically, um, yeah, you, you are you are this guy forever. Just enjoy this. You, you can fuck off. I don't care what happens to you. So what made combat a little weird was their initiative mechanic like how it determined whose turn it was and it starts just by alternating your team go one person on your team goes then an enemy goes then another next person on your team goes then the next enemy goes then the next person on your team and it alternates like that and where this starts affecting the combat in the weird way is that whichever team has less people goes more frequently yep because if they have six if you have six people and they have four people by the time your six people act, they've acted one and a half times. Like, you know, it's gone through their whole cycle and halfway through it again. Then um, I misspoke earlier with regards to, I thought it was team-based. I'm, I'm, I was incorrect. What do you mean? I thought it was team-based combat as in oh, your entire team goes first, then their entire team goes. Oh, no, no. Because no, I thought yeah. that was end turn. Yeah, it is a very weird system where like, like I said, it, it's al been a while. it alternates back and forth during the combat. And then to make it even weirder, once... A t either side is down to one person there's a thing that happens it's called pillage where who that solo person gets immediately gets a turn no matter whose turn it is supposed to be yeah and they they get their attack off and then they don't get to go again until every person on the other team goes so it's like just the total complete discombobulation of that's because I think if you had one person versus like four, that one person would just trash the entire other team if they got to go between each person's Yeah, attacks. yeah. I like the idea of it, but it's it's weird to think of that one person just immediately getting that action. I don't know. It, it yeah. just it was a strange mechanic. Yeah. I liked it, but it just it felt clunky at first. Yeah, it, it does take some getting used to. And at first you're just like, what the hell? Why, why does he get to pillage? And then yeah. like, you I thought, kind of, aren't I pillaging him? Yeah. I mean, what the hell, man? And then you eventually kind of catch on. Yeah. And there's also, with the Dredge, which is the the race of beings that are essentially making up the entire baddie system of this yeah. game, there's a weird damage chaining mechanic. So if a Dredge is standing next to another Dredge, if you damage that or destroy that Dredge's armor, every adjacent Dredge or nearby Dredge will take a hit to their armor as well. Yeah, and it changed. So if there's like if there's three of them standing in a row and you hit one of them, it will it will 
the next person will plink one off and the next person will plink one off and it just goes down the line and right it's like a weird lightning bolt yeah and it it's really in my opinion hard to really take advantage of it at any kind of reliable capacity and the so trouble- it, it ended up just being like a happy bonus like you would just yeah. like you go over and hit this guy and just like oh cool i also you know took armor off of those two guys too that that's neat yeah it, it ends up being a nice little accident it, yeah. it's hard to take advantage of because the way the dredge are programmed the way their AI is, AI is programmed they're programmed to spread out so they're not really supposed to be around each other unless they're attacking the same player yeah so it, it's kind of like yeah there's this happy little accident that happens where you knock off some extra armor if you knock off that first dredge's armor yeah and and there's a spell that a person gets later in the game which has the same kind of thing but it goes diagonally yep instead of vertically or horizontally it, it right. changes diagonally which is even harder to do <laughs> like absolutely so, so it's like it ends up just turning into a relatively useless spell in my opinion but so the next bit is just that there's another mechanic in in the game called basically an injury mechanic uh, unless it's a a specific event or it's scripted to happen your characters can't really die they can however take injuries which if they fall in battle they'll be injured for the next battle and that can be healed by resting uh, one day per reduction point of injury so this is an interesting mechanic that that uh, sort of lends you to not be fully reckless but knowing that your character can't die unless a specific event happens or a scripted event happens it it, it allows you to a little bit more freedom at least i think so i mean yeah it does and that's one of the things i was wondering is you know what happens when you die in battle like the first few fights you're just like oh god what happened yeah yeah am i gonna lose this dude because in that first fight uh in in the i guess chapter one portion the tutorial portion of the game uh one of my varl went down i was like oh fuck if this giant's gonna go down is he gone for good like i've barely started the game what am i gonna do yeah and with the the difficulty curve of the game like on normal difficulty it is actually pretty tough to get out of a fight without someone going yeah, down absolutely like, it gets pretty nuts i so. mean even even on easy which uh, which is the difficulty i played through on it it was kind of tough to get through without at least getting injured once yeah yeah and then there's a morale system where you you kind of never notice it but Unless you're... it yeah, unless you're watching it on the overworld map, you're not noticing the morale system yeah. at all. And basically, it's just like the better your morale of your caravan is, you get more buffs in combat. Like you're just luckier and you're more likely to critical hit. And, and you're more likely to continue to have extra turns and stuff like that. So yeah. it, it's kind of an interesting thing. The, the, the third mechanic that I didn't really care for is war. It's basically larger battles that you... Uh, there's scripted events that you go through larger battles in air quotes when yeah when i say battles that it's just kind of a scripted event that you when i say script i mean you're reading the script of the event it happens before and after each fight you try to shape the battle with uh, you're given options to choose from it's basically god this game is basically make a tr- make a fucking choice right now god damn it the game and it didn't feel like there really was a war going on. I mean, yes, you're reading the script of the war going on as you're continuing to play, but it didn't feel real. It just felt like there was just this weird story MacGuffin to get you to keep going. Yeah. It, it just a way to keep the plot moving forward without you giving you a regular battle if you don't want to play it. So 
I don't know. The best way to explain this is like you, there'll be times where it'd be like, Hey, the, the dredge army is right in front of you. It's time to time to go to war with them. And then it would say like, okay, there are this many dredge. Yeah. And then it'll say, and you guys have this many warriors and this many varl. And you know, this is, so these are how the two teams stack up. And I think I, I'm not hundred percent certain of this, but I think the way it works is if, Basically, if the numbers are even, when you actually drop into the tactical fight, like the sides are relatively even. If they outnumber you, you're outnumbered, like you're more outnumbered. But you get a choice of like how you dive into the battle, which is like the one I always used, which was just charge into the battle and like try and catch them off guard, like just basically go full berserker on them and go nuts. You could like wait and see what they do and like there's there are several other options but like i would just charge in get to that first fight smash through the first fight and then it's like you get an option to either keep pursuing the dredge and try and press your victory or back off and let them run away and i backed off and let them run away every time and like it was only ever like i would do that first fight and then it's done and I wouldn't have right. to worry about it again. And like, yep, war was over and they would flee and run away. Yep. And then, you know, you'd get to the next war and basically do the same thing. Just step in and smash everyone and then run away. It just, it didn't feel like a, a war. I, I feel like if they had done something like, at least even showed you what was going on as opposed to like, maybe like a Rome total war type thing where you're seeing a small battle go on and then that was it. I'd be more satisfied. Because the fight that you fight you're fighting no different than your normal combat like outside of a war like it is it's exactly the same it's your six guys versus however many enemies there are like there there is no difference between this and a normal fight other than the text you get at the beginning and the choice you get to make which i think the choice you get to make also affects your advantage or disadvantage and position at the beginning of the combat i honestly haven't because because if, if you charge in they are way spread out like they're yep. and then you you can basically just like run to one side and kill everyone before the other side of their people can even reach your party and right right so I, I, I hadn't noticed super super easy to route people but yeah i think like when you get if you wait you get into like less favorable position basically sure makes but, sense but it's there like that's yeah. kind of how it how that mechanic feels it's like it's there probably if you're on harder difficulties it becomes more important and has more impact on everything i mean it's certainly a way to grind experience because you can just fight after fight after fight after fight sure but it it, i didn't feel the need to do so however the game didn't feel like it was going to be a grind fest for you to continue on in order to do that you had to continue to fight more battles you can do it but it feels like that the game well, you would be extremely overpowered doing so. Yeah. Well, in in this game, you max out at level five. Oh, really? Yep. I didn't. I didn't realize that. I never. I don't think I actually got any of my characters to level five. I got all of my characters to level five. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I didn't blow through the game, but I felt like it was appropriately paced for me to get through it without having to grind. Yes, yes. But yeah, like you, you everyone maxes out at level five, and you get an achievement for killing killing an opponent with a level five of each class oh okay yeah i didn't get that one yeah i i have a handful of them right right that that makes sense i mean i i, I know you spent obviously you spent a lot more time on the game than i did but 
I have a whopping 18 achievements, so I have a, a ways to go to get more. <laughs> nice. Nice. I don't know how many I have. I think I've got uh, 25 of the 39. Oh, you actually got more than me, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first phase of the game. Uh, there's two more phases to go. The next one is the caravan. Uh, yeah. I found that interesting. It's basically the overworld of yeah, how... This is, this is how you travel from place to place, basically. And right. this is where kind of Banner Saga gets its name because you guys, you carry, you have your big war banner that you're carrying with you as the caravan travels. Right, um, right. And it's it's got some pretty simple mechanics for, in the grand scheme of things. So you every, te- every day of travel, you burn through supplies, like a day's mm-hmm. worth of supplies. Every day of travel, you lose morale. Yeah, and then, I, I mean, I hadn't noticed. Like, it yeah. didn't seem to affect me at all. Yeah, you get this message, boom, morale lost, boom, morale lost, boom, morale lost, like every day, and you're just like, right. whatever. Shrug, um, I guess. And then what makes the caravan part interesting is that you would get little mini events while traveling where you had to, like, make decisions about things and yeah. basically take a leadership role in the caravan and like yep. fights would happen between people. And there was a guy who kept getting drunk at one point in time and like causing problems. And you like, you have to deal with it, like events involving this drunk dude, like four or five or six times until you just say, you know, dude, screw it, dude, you're done. Yeah. Get, get out of my caravan. Yep. Like, and I, and I'm, pretty sure if i did not at that time he probably would have caused more and more and more and more trouble until you know you finally kick him out like i don't, yeah. I don't have no idea how many chains you know down it would go but it would be kind of interesting to see um i i don't remember yeah but yeah it's it's just kind of cool that you just get to you get to actually they feel almost arbitrary sometimes but it's kind of like interesting that you have to be like it you have to be a leader and you have to kind of like this is my leadership style and this is how I'm going to resolve conflicts. And you feel like, holy crap, like if I fuck this up, because everything affects your caravan. Yep. Like you make the wrong decision and you lose like eight days of supplies because a supply wagon falls off a cliff. Like, I mean, just or you crazy. lose 30 or 40 clansmen because something stupid happens yeah. and an yeah, avalanche you, kills them. Or, or you piss someone off and they just leave and like their whole family goes with them. So, you know, you lose 30 clansmen. Yeah, and it's once again bringing back to make a decision right now. God damn it, the game. That's how it feels. Like it, you're making decisions every single time. You just hey, make a decision here, make a decision here, make a decision here. The thing is, I'm not sure how many of them actually affect any of the outcome. I I don't probably not. I don't know. I don't think I. There's nothing I. I never. I guess lost the, the game. The random ones I don't think have a huge effect other than like affecting your supplies and you, the number of warriors and stuff that you have. Um there are scripted ones that are based on location like yeah. cuz there's at one point where you see like a bunch of birds circling like buzzards circling and when you get close enough to them you're you, there's an event that pops up and it's it's definitely weird like you notice it because it's the only time in the game there are buzzards circling and you can you just go like oh that's weird i wonder what that is and then you finally get up to it and they're like hey that's kind of freaky let's yeah. let's avoid that and yeah or, and you have to make it again you have to make a decision for the whole caravan make a decision right now god damn it the game yeah if you do run out of supplies or like 
and can't feed your people anymore every day instead of losing supplies you actually people just start deserting your caravan and you lose fighter and or they'll die too and yeah they'll starve to death too it's nuts yeah because you'll lose clansmen you lose supporting camp uh like i can't remember what the hell they're called they're like camp supporters or something like that and then and far as well and then at any time you can break for camp with your caravan which leads us into the third kind of phase of the game which is camps and towns yeah camps and towns are kind of neat because here you can uh, level up your characters shop for more food you can gain morale by resting uh there's dialogue and plot opportunities like you'll have a character portrait of someone who wants to, who you can have a conversation with either they want to talk to you or you could just go and seek them out and talk to them yeah or it's just a weird scripted event involving them and yeah they happen randomly in camps they happen all the time in towns like the ones Absolutely. in towns are definitely plot opportunities that move the main story along uh, right the ones that camps can do both like it's they're a little weirder they'll generally have a kind of bonding moments between you and the main character there's kind of two main characters in the game uh but we'll we can get to that in just a little bit between you and your main uh war party leaders or caravan leaders i guess yeah. they, they'll they'll have scripted events for bonding opportunities or, or something to that effect but there's two main really character mcguffins I'm really using that word a lot today. Yes, you are. <laughs> but yeah, the other thing, um, some of the towns like have important locations that move the plot on. Uh, and then there's markets where you can trade your renown, which is your experience for supplies. So you you have a choice in the game of either buying supplies or leveling up your your war party. And if you try to max out your war party, you've run out of supplies a lot for your caravan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, that's where i generally put a a, a further uh, i guess a premium on supplies where i would purchase yeah. them before i would level up my characters and yeah, move I, along I, the plot i did the opposite so i, I had pretty yeah. small caravans because people kept leaving <laughs> my but i kept killing dredge so that's all that matters yeah i guess there was also uh, in the markets you can also buy certain items uh, trinkets yeah. that you can attach to your your war party that uh, will allow you to do either special better special abilities or it'll give them uh, greater armor breaking stuff like that yeah greater strength and yeah. all kinds of other stuff um and then the other weird thing about camp was that you could do training battles to see how you like individual party members and how they can contribute to your team yep i never did one so i, don't I didn't either so i have no idea what that entails to be honest but, with you but the idea is that you know you it's a a combat that doesn't matter where you can see the, how someone's special ability works or whatever and yeah it's essentially looking at the character's limitations from there we've got uh the actual the world itself there was, honestly wasn't much exposition in the game no. it, it, it didn't tell you but, anything about the background of the world but holy crap can you tell they have done a significant amount of world building and for that's, this game. that's what's so infuriating i want to know about it i want to know more but you're just giving me trickles of information yeah by the way the three guys that are uh stoic they all worked on uh the old republic that doesn't so, surprise me one bit they all worked on Swoter. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. No, wait, wait. When you say like the Old Republic, the 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 new version or Knights of the Old Republic, Star Wars: The Old Republic, the okay. MMO. Okay, okay, which still has a ridiculous. Still has a, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. It still has a ridiculously rich world. But I just wanted to differentiate there. 
the there's back to the world here in question there's three different races there's the human the varl and the dredge the humans obviously they're like you and i the varl however are a race of giants that have kind of i guess goat horns in shape yeah uh, they have in just, composition or kind of cow horns in a way too like but they yeah they all have horns of i just some meant the, the, the nodding ribbed nature of the horns are kind of goat only some of them are like that oh, like really? they were all they were all different yeah that's like, fair yeah they all have just giants with horns yep the 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 varlin question however they're huge giants they take up four squares of the uh of combat uh space instead of the one that humans do they apparently live hundreds of years because two of them are like the two varl that you meet in game are competing to see who can be the oldest yeah which is what i found very entertaining and they were both really funny guys too yeah they were both really entertaining uh there's one of them is the essentially a poet slash yeah he's a he's a historian yeah who is i think they not, call him a scrivener yeah he he is not at all combat oriented. He does not see, you do not see him in combat. He's yeah. just there throughout the entire game. I assume he's the chronicler of events, yeah. and that's why you're seeing it through his eyes. Really, yes. he he definitely he even calls himself the chronicler. I think at one point in time, like he uh, straight up says, "Like I'm just here to tell a story." Yeah, <laughs> and, and basically, apparently, they were created by the gods who have the gods have been dead for centuries the, yeah. but way before the game started so the yeah. the the varl that are currently alive are the last of their kind yeah yeah you, like part of the backstory that you get during the game is like you basically don't know how long the gods have been dead for but they've been dead for a long time and yeah no one no one knows kind of what happened they just kind of disappeared right and uh, the only I, I don't think even the current varl alive really remember the gods yeah. at least to remember them very much However, the only thing that they do know is that they've been at war with the Dredge for as long as they've been around. Yeah. And the Dredge are these basically sentient suits of armor. They well, they're they're Yeah, they just they wear these big crazy suits of armor that look really awesome. Like they look Oh, they they're fantastically cool. beautifully designed, wonderful job designing the Dredge and really just the entire game. The the humans, the the Varl, I mean, you genuinely start to care about these characters. You want them to to see them survive. It's it's a really very rich world with it's so infuriating. I, I want to say again just how irritating it made me that you just get this trickle of knowledge. It's like somebody's you're extremely thirsty and you just get a small mouthful of water before you're just going back to being thirsty again. That's funny because like I never found it infuriating. I thought it was like really cool the whole time. Like I I saw how you could see like the story behind it all and yeah but i wanted to know more and they don't give me more well they do there's a whole nother game i i know but i'm talking about in this game we're not reviewing banner saga 2 dan we're reviewing banner saga 1 but that's the point like this is only the start like this is it's supposed to make you want more and apparently it did a really good job paul yeah but i want but i want it here now i want it now I, I don't think how much you you understand how much like Veruca Salt I am. I don't care how. I want it now. Well, tough. No, nothing for Willy Wonka in the Chocolate Factory. No. No? Okay. All right, fine. Was that Charlie in the Chocolate Factory? That was Charlie, wasn't it? Willy Wonka was the Johnny Depp version. Fuck. It's Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. God damn it. Anyway. So. Indeed. There's three types of classes. Uh, I guess I mean like the, the the three types of um, 
fighting classes in the game. Yeah. It's it's hard to I don't know. They yeah, there's basically three groups of Yeah, cuz there's there's really nothing you can like, yeah, I don't really know how to put anybody one person into. Yeah. Cuz like Eagle is a sword and board guy, but yeah. someone else is also a tank but doesn't have a sword and board. He's got a giant hammer. Yeah. It kind of the stuff that's hard to explain with this is like every single character is their own class basically i think yeah. there are only a couple that overlap but like each class has its own special ability so this is kind of like meta grouping of these classes so there there are, are tanks most of which have a weapon and a shield and they have significantly higher armor than everyone else mm-hmm. um all of the varl have higher armor than everyone anyway yes. but and and but there very much are, higher strength there are varl with shields there's a couple yes. of them and they are yep. crazy super huge tanks and then there are like we said they're dredge with hammer with uh, shields that just even make you look dumb like how much armor they have they they make the humans with uh, the humans in varl with shields just look silly yeah and then there's the the damage dealing types which have a couple of different varieties. There, there are some that just you know have swords or axes or whatever, and some of the Varl have big two-handed swords that are really cool and giant axes yeah. and stuff like or that. Huge fucking hammers. I know that. I remember when my favorite Varl had a giant fucking hammer that just wrecked yeah. shit up. And uh, one of the Dredge, like the larger Dredge, have these big two-handed swords that are like these giant tuning forks and they have this weird ability where they can like smack them on the ground and like hold them up and it'll summon more dredge which yeah if you don't kill them fast enough and then there's a weird group of the melee damage dealers that have spears yep and they can actually attack people two spaces away or diagonally and they're the only people that can attack diagonally for melee because some of the ranged guys can attack like just anyone within like five squares of them, basically. Yeah, unless you can. Uh, there's a couple of with abilities that, like special abilities that'll do like yeah. a a whirlwind attack that'll attack diagonally, but that's the only yeah. caveat to that. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just limited to in the four uh, four cardinal directions. Yep, whoever's directly next to them. Yep, 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 yep. Which is the downside to the larger dredge and the larger varl is that more people can surround them and attack them. Yes, that is a big downside, unfortunately. Uh, they do, however, have generally have the armor and uh, strength to take those hits, but you really kind of don't want to see them doing it. However, we do have uh, ranged as well. As Dan said, there are bow and arrow. They seem to be limited to human only with uh, bow yeah. and arrow. I, There's only well, a couple I, characters that have it. I did not see any Varl with ranged attacks. No, they seem to be primarily just melee fighters, and they're yeah. pretty well suited for it. Yeah, yeah. There was one human who traveled with one of the more asshole human characters who had <laughs> shot fire arrows. Like, she had a magical arrow attack that, like, you know, she would shoot fire. Yeah, yeah. And, so like, I actually the, liked her. Uh, she was fine. Just her, the guy she was there with was kind of a yeah we'll, we'll we'll get to him in a little bit i made a particularly long rant about him as you saw yeah. uh there was also the dredge slingers which uh basically like any sling in any role-playing fantasy role-playing experience is just a rock inside of a sling that is not a slingshot yeah and you flick the flick the rocket yeah you hit you it's damage you know yeah and some of them had a special ability where they could like 
throw gems that would then explode later. Like they had this really cool effect where they would like smack it on the ground and it would like spark all crazy and blue and they would sling it and hit you or or just throw them on the ground. And if anyone was next to them, they would explode yeah. and hurt people. And it's, they gave you like two or three rounds before they exploded. Yeah. But they uh, looked they, really, really looked cool. Like, I don't yeah, know. absolutely. Like, I mean, everything in this game looks cool. Even, yeah. even like just the mundane stuff that they do is really neat looking. Uh, they, they clearly spent a lot of polish on this game. Oh, yeah. And then there's Rook. Yes. He is the leader of the human caravan. Yeah, he's one of these main story characters that we spoke of earlier. Yeah. And he's the only person in the game that has both melee attacks and a ranged attack. Like he yep. has a bow and arrow and an axe. Yeah, I think his class is hunter. Yes, he's a huntsman. Yeah, and and it was he is arguably the most powerful character in the game for that. Yeah, like, he's he's definitely the most versatile because like all of the archers like to attack someone who gets up close to them they have to move away first and then shoot and he can actually like hit them with an axe at point blank range like a melee yep. character yep. or like his attack animation he like flings his axe into the ground pulls his bow out and shoots the arrow and it, it looks really cool it, it does like I, I mean rook <laughs> is honestly my favorite character design in the game because yeah. he's generally carrying his axe but he just slaps that shit to the ground and just pulls out his bow and just he's just a badass yeah and then then there are magic users, and there's really two. There is Ivand, the uh, the mender, yeah, who you mentioned earlier. Oh my God, you can heal, buddy. You are in this party yes. forever. <laughs> you can heal and do lightning attacks. You are my party, dude, forever. You just this guy can fuck off to Fuckistan. I don't care where you go, just not here. You can fuck off to not here land. <laughs> And then there's uh, the dredge have mages that are called stone singers, I think. Yes. And uh, you get these, oh my God, it's a stone singer. You have to kill it as fast as you can kind yep. of moments in the game. And yep. only like two or three show up the entire game. Yeah. Like they're very rare. If there's one that happens at a very key moment later on in the game that uh, kind of fucks shit up. Uh, but yeah. we'll get to that when we get to our spoilery portion of the game. And then there is a single boss in the whole game and he's crazy and yeah we won't go too deep into him but he's uh he's a spoiler testicness yeah we will we will can we name him that's too much of a spoiler i don't i don't think it'll spoil anything but his yeah. name is bellower which is really like to bellow like yelling raw i guess yeah yeah i think there's one other mini boss in the game but it's a it's a neat little story arc that we won't go into right okay. now it's a, it, it it will I'll, I'll get to it later yeah but that was the only one that's just like yep i am i am a boss like yes. you need to fight me yeah. i am the main villain of this game yeah he is definitely the the main antagonist there's a, all of the dredger antagonists in this game yeah so it's it's there so all of that being said the combat in this game is not all that deep it's really not it's, I mean, you you. It takes a little while to get the hang of it, but maybe after the first hour or two, you're like, "All right, cool. I can I can crush anything in this game. Like yep. I I've got this down. I know how to take out the big dredge. I know how to take out the little dredge. I know which ones to focus on first, and you can you can just kind of work your way through the game, and everything works. 
this is it's very much a game that has more emphasis on the experience than just focusing on yeah. combat it is about the whole not just yeah. one aspect and one of the things is, is if you if you find yourself really enjoying the combat you could probably crank the difficulty up and really enjoy it even more because give yourself uh, a challenge yeah. paul mentioned that he played the game on easy difficulty and yeah. i i went through as much of it as i could on normal and i got i don't know into chapter three so a couple hours like probably about four or five hours in and then and then i turned it down to easy because on on easy difficulty it takes about five to ten minutes to finish a, a random fight yeah something like that and on normal difficulty the battles drag on a little bit because it takes longer to kill people and so it was taking 20 to 30 minutes to finish a fight on normal difficulty just random fights that you would get into like we're we're taking three to four times longer so i was just like oh man this game is so slow and it feels like it's dragging so much and then i just i was like okay i'm just gonna i get what this game feels like on normal i get their intended experience if I wasn't on a crunch to play this game in a week, I would probably keep going on normal. But yeah. like, I, I found myself at times like I really don't feel like playing because it's like it's just I don't want to grind right now. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I didn't want to grind at the time, so I I dropped it down to easy and then was like, oh my god, it this was just like this so much faster now. Yeah, Whoa. <laughs> it was just there. You go. You, the game is going to be over a lot but, quicker. You think? But on easy, like the combat is easy like it is oh yeah there almost is no challenge to the fights in to contrast this on normal difficulty it is almost impossible to get through a fight without someone being killed in the fight and having to rest off their injury debuff right right so the different and i feel like here we should talk about the difference between easy and normal at least with regards to injuries with easy there aren't any like yeah. it removes any penalty you get with that with yeah, uh, so, so you don't have to rest it up at all which is actually funny because when i changed the difficulty some of my guys had like three and four days of rest injury buffs so like i just had to rest for those days and like their their buff would, would be done. yeah they would just be done and it also the difficulty changes how much armor and hit points opponents have so like on normal difficulty those guys that had like 17 and 20 armor had like had half that 13 to 15 yeah which 13 armor when my guys towards the end of the game like <laughs> i could i could get them down to like two to three armor with like three hits yeah it's it's kind of criminal how drastic the difficulty change is between normal and easy yeah it, it's there by the way um, i was complaining too much because i still very much enjoyed the experience when oh, yeah, i was playing I, on easy it's it it does it gets the combat system out of the way so you can enjoy the story a little more yeah which the story was a really good thing and like what i would totally recommend people play the game for is definitely the story i i still think the combat's a very a very good system i still think yeah. you'll have fun playing it but i'm not sure that i would crank up the difficulty for myself i think i enjoyed it a lot more that i wasn't so frustrated by the challenge of it indeed indeed all right, my favorite thing about pretty much anything, because my absolute passion in life is voice acting. Indeed. I am very frustrated that they either didn't do it all or nothing. 
because they give you this little trickle of voice acting. It's yeah. this kind I, I've, I've keep saying trickle, but it's true. It, it kind of, they give you cutscenes for voice acting and it makes you appreciate how much better this game could have been if the game was fully voice acted. Yeah. So basically the voice acting in this game, there's the opening sequence is all voice acted and you get this like kind of gravelly voice, which is, I think, Ubin, like the, the, I first, think so, yeah. the first character, like just talking about everything and it's really cool like you're just like oh man this is awesome like i i want more of this and then you basically don't get any more voice acting until you hit significant landmarks and then there'll be like a little narrator voicing over again generally ubin telling you about the location as you're like approaching a godstone or you're coming yeah. into a, a town that has been you know attacked or and then there's know, a little bit more at the end of the game for the closing cinematic and yeah. that's really it and it's, yep. I like the game. I want to like it more. Let me hear it. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed the voice acting. I wish there was more of it. That's all. Yes. So that's, it's kind of, oh man, this game could be even more amazing if they did the voice acting for everything. But absolutely. But it's just, no, they just, <sighs> I don't know if they ran out of money or if it just, it didn't feel that they it didn't feel necessary to them. I don't know what happened, but I wish they had done either none of it or all of it. I mean, I love what's there. Like I definitely sure. don't want them to remove what's there. I just oh, wish there yes, was more. but I want there but, to be but more. it's it's a tease. <laughs> I, I that's what I mean. It's a tease. Like if it wasn't there, I probably wouldn't have noticed it and I probably probably would have enjoyed the game just as much as I do now. Mm-hmm. But it, it just it teases me a little bit. Like I want to hear the voice of Rook. I want to hear the voice of Alette. I want to hear the voice of Vagel. I want to know what these people sound like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I definitely, I totally agree, man. Hopefully, hopefully they address that in Banner Saga 2 and they have more voice acting. Yeah. Okay, folks, before we get into our spoiler-heavy portion of the podcast, we wanted to give you a bit of, I guess, final thoughts on the non-spoiler portion of it to let you know whether or not we should, we think you should play the game, whether or not it's worth the current price, and what our next game is going to be before we sign off. Although, I think we should actually tell you guys later on in the tale. Because that way, you're actually going to listen to the whole thing. Or you might just skip ahead. Either way. <laughs> I I felt the game... it The game felt rushed. Not that hmm. you were rushing through the game, but it felt like they were rushing the game through production. And a lot of the story felt... I, I, I wrote unfinished here, but I don't think that's the right word anymore. I, I felt like the story was, they were just touching on the barest hint of the story. The The world is well and truly fleshed out. That much is very obvious just going by the artistry, the, and it is artistry, that they've put on the screen. The characters are fully fleshed out. You can tell that you're caring about them. You want to care about them. And we know that the, the Varl and the Dredge have been on and off in wars. The human, the humans, Varl and Dredge, are together in this world, but we don't know why. We don't know what's going on. We know the gods existed, but they don't exist anymore. We just start caring about the characters, like we we care about uh, Rook. God, Rook. Thank you, uh, Rook Alette. We care about Hakon and his crew. And as soon as we feel like we're starting to make a connection, it's over. Mm-hmm. I like the game a lot. I really want to give it more. I want more to happen. Mm-hmm. but it felt like something was lacking. And I spent 15 bucks on this game. 
I don't regret that purchase, but I think I could have spent lower and been a bit happier with that purchase yes. because I felt like the game wasn't enough for my 15 bucks. Yeah. Um, and I can, I'll kind of echo some of that sentiment. Like right now, if you're just getting Banner Saga, like just that first game, because there is a sequel, there's Banner Saga 2. Um, but like if it's just Banner Saga, it feels like right now $10 is probably the right price point for it. And usually it'll hit that during Steam sales. Like it did just a few weeks ago with the last Steam sale, it hit 10 bucks. And like that feels like a really good price point for this game. Cause like the game, it feels like the start of a story. Like it is definitely Banasaga part one without having part one in the name. Like it, it, it presents itself as a full game and it is very much not. It is, it doesn't even really finish a story arc. Like, and that's, that's the problem is that it has, like you were saying, it has this great world and this huge depth and like all of this potential and story and it sucks you in. And you're like, what is the deal with all of these godstones? Like what happened to the gods? Why aren't they around anymore? What is going on with the dredge? Why are they going so crazy? And like, how are the Varl going to survive? Like, there's all of this stuff that you start caring about and wanting to know more for and none of it resolves like there's no resolution in this game there's no the narrative of the game does not come to any kind of conclusion and it's it puts you in a weird spot or at least me personally because i want to play the second game like i really want to play banner saga 2 but at the same time my experience with banner saga 1 makes me believe that the second game is also not going to resolve anything. It's going to be another chunk of the story arc, but it's still going to leave me hanging. And I don't know. Yeah. Like it feels like it's the execution of the game is episodic, but the presentation of the game is not the like, game. The game has seven chapters and it feels like that that is the first third of a book. It feels not, like those are the first. Seven, yeah. But it feels like it's the first seven yeah. chapters of a book. Yes. And, 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 and I very much echo that sentiment is that it doesn't finish any story arcs. And without getting spoiler heavy, the game ends very abruptly. Yeah. It, it, well, I think so it, in the terms of storytelling of like actual narrative structure, there is a moment that is less than a third of the way through a book usually where you fi kind of finally first meet the real antagonist of the book. Yes. And I feel like in this game, I'm not going to spoil, but towards that point like you actually for like it, the end of this game you kind of first see who the real antagonist is yes and so yeah it is it's it's barely a third of the full story yeah. and which i mean this might be a trilogy i i don't remember reading what their plan is but like i'm definitely more than happy to support this to its conclusion but I want to know that there is going to be a conclusion. Yes. And in that context, like if you're paying for a third of a game and it's going to be $60 worth of content, like a full game, $20 is right for this. Sure. But at, at, at some point, this, you know, theoretically becomes basically the demo to get people in the door to buy the rest of the game. In which um, case, $20 is a bit too much for me. Yes. And I don't know. It's, it's definitely in a weird spot, but I... I recommend it. I think you can probably get $20 worth of value out of it if you replay it multiple times. And the art and music is amazing. Like, it just is. 
like I would recommend going and buying the soundtrack, even if you don't play the game. Just it's phenomenal. But yeah, I don't know. Ten dollars feels right to me. So if you yeah, if you don't have it and you're interested in picking it up based on kind of the stuff we've already talked about, like look for it for about ten bucks. And I yeah, think we, you'll you will not be disappointed at all. Wait for a Steam sale, a humble bundle, something like that. Mm-hmm. However, that said, there is impetus to continue playing it of a sort. I mean, there are multiple ways to finish the game the game's story doesn't change but the characters it's kind of illusion of choicey in which case you don't really affect much in the way of the story itself but you affect who is the players in the story correct so so it's a lot like the walking dead uh, the telltale games the walking dead in that case because you don't affect this the end mm-hmm. of the story or it, the story arc itself you just affect who's going to be there yeah it splinters off and comes back and off and comes back yes but yeah yep i agree but yeah, we we both really liked the game. We both enjoyed Absolutely. the game, I think, and we both recommend it. So yes, yes. If you if we have not convinced you yet, if we may sound hesitant right now, but that's because we're trying. I think both holding back and trying not to spoil anything with our enthusiast, you know, our yes. recommendation. Because because we want we want to get to the spoiler warning. We want to get to the spoiler warning and the spoiler heavy content, and that's where the meat of our enthusiasm is going to be. That said, purchase it, play it enjoy it i think that if you are a fan of tactical rpgs like final fantasy tactics or fire emblem or advanced wars you will enjoy this game the art is beautiful the game itself has is really fun to play it's tight controlled it's it's hard to not understand what the game is going for it is a well-made game you'll enjoy it mm-hmm. anything else to add before we get to spoilers nope i think I think that does it. All right, folks. It's that time again. Every time we do a Game Corner, we give you a good chunk of spoiler warning. There's going to be a time where we say, right now, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. It's time for the spoiler content. Is yeah. going to be our next bump? It might be. God help me. Uh, Yeah, we're about to get to a very spoiler-heavy section. We're going to talk about every single chapter of this game. We're going to talk about every character, everything that's going to really happen in this game so if you do not want to hear any of the spoilery content without playing the game first skip ahead to about the last probably two minutes of the podcast yes and in that two minutes we will tell you about the next game we're gonna play absolutely yay it's gonna be cool we'll tell you that much right now and it's going to be a little unique in its own weird way it is i don't i yeah just it's it doesn't matter we'll just go with that (laughs) <laughs> so here we are we're at our spoiler content time so this is a very extended warning for you yes this is your last chance to turn back because we are about to go all kinds of spoilers because we are going dragons to discuss, and spoilers we're going to discuss all of the plot we're yes. going to we're going to ruin everything if you keep going yeah um, if you don't care feel free to keep listening but you have been warned at this point and we are going to destroy your whole life now Yes, this is no longer on us. If you continue to listen, you can't yell at us. You can, but we're just going to laugh at you. This is on you. So without further ado, chapter one. This is really just a tutorial. I mean, you start off by with a, a small tutorial battle. It's the main, the chronicler, Ubin, is, is talking around with uh, a few people, and you just kind of end up in a fight. Yeah and basically just beat the shit out of people because it's the tutorial fights that are teaching you how to fight 
you kicked the fucking tar out of him, and it's hilarious. Indeed, indeed. They set up a little bit of the story because uh, you you kind of get the combat and stuff, and then you find out that like basically there's a little human prince traveling with your Varl group because at this point you are your Ubin is who you're playing, even though they, he gets referred. It does this weird thing where it, it refers to it as you sometimes, and then it also refers to Ubin as Ubin. Like, and yeah, it kind of switches perspectives, and it's really weird. However, I do want to say one more thing. The prince is a fucking asshole. Yes, he is. So the human <laughs> human prince gets to go with you because basically the Varl prince went to the human capital city for a, for something, and now as a return, not of hostages, but of uh, you know showing a sign of good faith, the human prince is going to go visit the Varl capital city and meet the king and stuff and be yeah. an emissary. But then like. At the end, by the end of chapter one, the king of the Varl is dead. Unfortunately, uh, it, it is an interesting uh, bit of tale. It sets it sets you up to, it basically sets up a lot of the plot and will tell you the. It, it's a level setting chapter. It shows you exactly what to expect out of this game, and you can expect a lot. You can expect a lot of interesting, entertaining characters, a lot of plot, a lot of great fighting mechanics it basically introduced you to each and every single bit of the game in just this mm -hmm. first chapter and that's what a good first chapter should do yep and it it doesn't get too plot heavy because it doesn't want to confuse you right uh, but it's basically kind of showing you what the that's pretty uh, much the entire game though yes <laughs> <laughs> well the entire game does does get a little plot heavy because there's there's actually some pretty complicated stuff going on um, i know but i want to be a dick yeah <laughs> but it makes you make choices it does. It does. It is, in fact, what did I call this? Let me let me scroll down a little bit because I called <laughs> choice, this Choice Simulator 2017. I don't know. No, 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 no. <laughs> I choice. I, I I called this. Where's because I did it in the uh, the uh, oh make a make a decision bit. now, motherfucker. Oh, yeah, make a decision right fucking now, asshole. The game. <laughs> Something like that. Yeah, is, that's exactly what I called it because it is definitely a game where you are making all the decisions and it's just. Now, 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 you have to make the decision. Well, the important thing is, or the better part is, like, it, it's not like the Telltale games where you have to make a decision quickly and now. Yeah. Yes. Like, I mean, you can sit there and ponder it, and there are some decisions in this game that you actually, like, they're tough choices. And, and when we say that, it means that there are consequences of possibly losing a major character. Like, yeah. one of the characters you've gotten attached to, you can't, people can die. And in fact, this is a game about war. Your characters can die permanently. Yeah. You will not get them back. Not just because of the little wounds that they can suffer in battle, but there are choices and the little bit of story bits that you get to in between chapters while you're walking. They could die. In fact, uh, one of the most killable characters is in chapter two. You meet him and his name is Eagle. Poor, poor Eagle. He is hands down the most killable character in the game. He can die in either chapter two or chapter six. We'll get to chapter six in a little bit, but there is a point where you need to fire an arrow over Eagle's head to get him to save his life. Fire that arrow, because if you don't, Eagle will die. And he is one of the most powerful characters in the game. Like, he is a shield bro, and he knows how to use that sword. <laughs> I don't think I ever got that option. No? Did you? Did, did Eagle survive? No. Oh, I am so sorry. Eagle died like a motherfucker. Uh, I kept Eagle up to Spoilers. chapter. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I kept Eagle up to chapter six, and uh, unfortunately, I made the very poor decision that caused his death, and 
there's actually the the fun part about poor Hegel is the fact that there's achievement for keeping him alive for the entire game. Yeah, no, <laughs> because he's so killable. Poor bastard. Nice. Yeah, no, he he did not survive my story. Oh, by the way, that is one of the points to uh, replay this game. See if you can keep Eagle alive without looking at a walkthrough. I did not look at a walkthrough. I I did look at a walkthrough, but I ended up looking at it after Eagle had died. I'm like, could I have saved Eagle here? Is he scripted to die? Yes. In our playthroughs, yes, he was. All, All right. right. So. Eventually in chapter two, the game very quickly transitions to the complete other side of the map and yep. uh, cuts over to a human named Rook, who is a huntsman and a, a caravan of humans because they run into a bunch of dredge and say, oh, shit, we can't stay here anymore. So mm-hmm. they leave their homeland and yeah, they, they, they kind they of a, flee. Uh, Frostveller. Yep. It, it's it's not in good shape. <laughs> yeah. Poor Frostfiller. Yeah, but that's where they they start heading to. And this is where I very quick, like towards the end of chapter two is where I had the difficulty issues. And like in normal difficulty, it was getting more and more difficult to get through combat, like any combat with everyone alive at the end. Yeah. No one one getting injured. And it always due to the weird turn order thing and the fact that like their movement and stuff escalates as combat progresses. But yeah. Anyway, you you learn about what the banners are, like the you know the title of the game, and like it's mm-hmm. basically a tribe's history in tapestry form that gets carried as a standard when they're doing anything. Which I thought it was cool. a, like it's yeah, a, it was a really cool uh, implementation of it. Yeah, of a chronicle essentially. I do have one question to ask you. Did you find the the shifting between the two companies, the two caravans, to be very jarring? Not really, because it's kind of like any story. Like you, you have more than one central character sometimes, and they do merge. Like, yeah, they eventually merge. they do. Yes. What in chapter five four? or six four? I think because because it's either in four or five. I don't remember that. Yeah, because because I, I know you, they have to separate again. Well, they separate at Einartoft. Okay. Because anyway, H- Hacken gets sent off on a special mission. Yeah. Anyway. Um, back to chapter three. Uh, so after heading out of Frostfeller, we get we head back to Ubin's caravan. Uh, there's tension well, breaking. Uh, Oops, which th- so one of the first big choices in the game happens at Frostfeller. So yes, Frostfeller. There's some crazy shit going on, and basically the you know leader of uh, the governor or whatever of Frostfeller has trapped himself basically inside of the keep and won't let anyone else in, and so you have a couple of options, which like you can fight your way into town, stay there, or camp outside the town, or just leave and go on your way. And which one did you end up choosing? Do you remember? I I'm trying to remember. I ended up, gosh, what did I do here? Uh, I can't remember what I did. I think I, I don't remember if I left or if I stayed and tried to force my way in because I know I tried to force my own one of the places. Oh, I we. F- I forced my way in, but then my ultimate decision was, fuck you guys, I'm leaving. Cause That's, yes, uh, because... Um, we crawled in through, where, the, uh, through the tunnel. Yeah, this is where I ended up uh, <laughs> meeting Onef, and I took Onef with me in a very poor decision on my part. Circling back around to poor Eagle, if you accept Onef's offer to take him on, please don't do that, because Eagle will die in Chapter 6, and 
that's on you and me because I did the same thing. Essentially, Onef ends up, uh, I think it was Onef who ends up murdering Akel. I don't remember. Yeah, it's she just... Much murder. Poor, poor Akel. Very poor throat, Akel. Very throat slitty. Oh, don't do that. Anyway, heading out to chapter three. After you make your decision of whether or not to say or go, and please don't take Onef's offer if you decide to go, you head back to Urban's caravan. So there's a lot of tension breaking out between the humans, humans of the Varl, thanks to Prince Asshole von Liechtenstein being a complete and total jerk to Hakon. What is his actual name? Because we don't have. I fucking don't remember, to be honest with you. You have it much later, I think. I do. I just I I can't remember his fucking name for the life of me. Starts with an L, I think. It does. What the fuck is his fucking name? I've got to look. Uh, looking up at list characters, it is. Starts with an L. What is your fucking name, you asshole? Luden? Prince Luden, I think it is. It's not listed in the heroes list here. That's fucking weird. Anyway, yeah, I think it's Prince Luden, I believe. Yeah, it is absolutely Prince Luden. And he is an absolute prick. He's good with a spear. He's decent in a fight. But he's an irredeemable fuckwit. Yeah, so one of the funny things that happens is... I think it's in this chapter where Luden runs into a dredge. And tries to fight it by himself and just gets his ass handed to him. He really does. He just gets wrecked. Now, in this chapter, we're also introduced to the war game mechanic. I hesitate to call it actual war because it's really not. Mm -hmm. The trouble with this is, is that, as we explained earlier with the war mechanic, you really just kind of make a few choices, fight a single battle, and that's kind of it. Anyway, after Mm -hmm. that, you get... If you're as you're cutting through the dredge in order to get to the Varl capital city of Grofheim, you kind of get word that the dredge are coming out of Ridgehorn. So your ass goes to check it out. A uh, fucking shithead prince, cock vagina ass face, threatens to leave. That's and <laughs> yep, yep, we're just going with it. And Dan uh, flat told him to get the fuck out. Fine, just go. Uh, I kept him on. I tolerated his bullshit because I wanted the human and Varl alliance to continue. Ridgehorn's a fucking shithole. You got to cut your way out. So there's also a human you find there that claims to be a mender and you bring him with you and you fast travel to Groff time because I guess shrug it, it basically yeah. there is. Did, did it do that for you too? Yeah. Like, did it it, just suddenly you go bloop, right yep, across the map. Yep. Yep. That, that is part of the, the, the whole part of the story. You just zipped there because it got bored with watching you fuck about on the map, I guess. Cause the funny part is, is like right before that so like in the battles at ridgehorn is where i switched the difficulty to easy yeah and so like right and after that's where I, you thought it was yeah right after i switched the difficulty to easy i just suddenly go blah, 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 like all the way across the bat but i'm like is that the easy difficulty like i don't have to deal with all this crap anymore well <laughs> like the thing was... with that is that you continue to deal with crap afterwards yeah. so i don't i think that was just a story script but i'm not 100 percent sure Anyway, as you fast travel to Groff Time, you find out that Groff Time is now a, a cancerous blight on the wasteland that used to be Groff Time. Yes. Groff Time is fucked. Just cornholed. Like, everything about it, it's it's prolapsed. It, yeah, it, it's a giant fire. It really is. It just it blew up. Yeah. I... And then it goes back to Rook. Yep. <laughs> Like, right when you're like, oh, shit. Yeah. It Groff- leaves you on a cliffhanger and moves back to Rook. 
it does a good job telling the stories like the the story at this point is like this is i think where you really start ubin's caravan you're you're there you're it's like okay yeah this shit's getting crazy like i'm invested in these characters and then chapter four i think is where you start like okay i rook rook and them like all right i'm i'm invested in their story now too it's like it's it's pretty cool yeah i i very much enjoyed rook's story i absolutely enjoyed the dynamic that he had with his daughter a lot i at first i thought so when I, when I first was introduced to Rook, I thought, oh, these two are married. Okay, cool. And didn't realize when she started calling him daddy, I was like, oh, oh. Not not that kind of daddy. Oh. Because at first I thought, oh, okay. That's got kind of weird pretty quick. Oh, it's his daughter. Okay, that's cool. Because she started having, she started snogging on Eagle. Like Eagle was like, that's her love interest. And I'm like, oh, either he's being cuckolded or that's her real father. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think I don't think it's like that, Paul. Dude, it's the just just go ahead and talk about chapter four. <laughs> so I'm not defending this. Nice. In chapter four, the humans and Rook Rook's village is basically heading from Frostfeller to uh Wormtoe. Yes. And Wormtoe is a varl village in like the middle of nowhere and they want to be left alone so you can't stay there and you find out here that Ivor the Varl who has been living in your village with Rook and them mm -hmm. has a secret of some sort yeah. that he hasn't told you and the guy's like it's not my place to tell you either so he'll tell you when it's time to tell you and you're like okay that's a little weird but you know sure ominous yeah dude with a secret all right so it was kind of cool a little bit down the road heading towards groff time you meet up with ubin's caravan so boom the two caravans merge. merge together yeah and then a giant fucking snake shows up and fucking destroys mountains and fucking wrecks everything like what the hell that is the antagonist <laughs> like yes. that's the real villain yes it seems like that is the you hear about bellower as you go through this bellower is kind of the mini boss of the entire saga <laughs> and this motherfucker here which is bigger yeah. than your entire caravan he's the main bitch were they called certs was that what bellower was called like the special dredge that can't die asunder He's one of those powerful of Sunder, S-U-N-D-R. Yes, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that is what they're called. They're the demigod champions of the dredge race, serving as the general of the armies invading the Varl lands in the first part of the Banner Saga. Well, there you go. And they are divided up into parts. Yes. So, oh God, that's spoilers. I don't want to read that. <laughs> You're looking at the official wiki? I was, yes. So, uh, after this, once you meet up in, with... Uh, Ivor's party, no, Ivor, um, Ubin's party. Uh, you basically get into Einertoft and the Varl get a little bit prickly because humans aren't allowed in this sacred Varl city. And Ivor says, um, go fuck yourself with the nearest cactus and you're all allowed in. Is that like, they're with me and if I'm coming in, they're coming in. And yeah. they all kind of cow. Bulk. Yeah, they kowtow. And, and yeah, so you're just kind of like, all right, this Ivor dude is a big deal. And so, yeah, Bellower shows up. Yep. 
and Ivor jumps out by himself like a fucking idiot and fights Bellor and just gets his ass handed to him. It's his fight, though. We got to understand it's his fight. Yeah. But at the same time, I was like, man, if the whole rest of my war party were here, this dude would be fucking dead. Yeah, I am openly mocking Ivor's decision to do this. (laughs) So with this, it's trashed. My absolute favorite character in the entire Banner Saga, arguably the most powerful character in the game, Ivan the Mender steps in and basically tells Bellower to eat shit. That's where our giant snake buddy shows up and says, hey, what's up? And then fucks off out of there. Literally just shows up, looks at everyone, and just leaves. Yeah. And then Hacken shows up and comes back from his little special ops mission and fucks everyone up. Yep, it, it's just a lot of fun uh, just to watch that entire series, series of unfortunate events. Ivan uh, does his badass mender routine, heals up Ivor, and keeps him alive despite losing the arm to Bellower. Like, he's got one arm now. His left yep. arm's gone. Uh, depending on still wields a big-ass axe. Yeah, depending on which view you t- you look at him. Because they do flip the, uh, the sprite a bit. They just flip it. Yeah, they just flip the sprite. So depending on which view you're... Depending on which uh, side you're looking at him, he could have a left or right arm. Yeah, I get it. It just kind of felt a little. I, I it did. It felt like that was a little detail that got sl- that slipped yeah. through the cracks. That was something that was kind of like, if I'm gonna have a gripe about the art, was like they did the visual novel thing, and basically like everyone has a single in conversation animation. Yeah. So like every time it goes to one guy, like he'll just he'll reach up and scratch his arm a little bit. Mm-hmm. Or like Ivan will like mess with the staff, and that's when you—that's actually a kind of a mark of a good game because you are noticing stuff like that. Yeah. You're nitpicking because there's nothing else to pick at this game about. It kind is, I, at least I think so because I, I find the game to be absolutely gorgeous. Mm-hmm. The art style is wonderful, and if that's the only thing I got to complain about, I'm still fine. Oh, indeed, but yeah, it, it's just one of those little things where it's just like, okay. Yeah, it kind of it kind of digs at you a little bit as the as the game goes on. Yeah. I get it. So, chapter five starts off really weird because like that healing healing Ivor and keeping him alive, like you, it transitions into chapter five and chapter five. LSD like, dream simulator. Yeah, it feels. <laughs> it seems like you're in someone's dream for a little while, and like you're a woman who wakes up and apparently her name is Juno. And yeah. I, I put a comment that she looks a lot like a female version of Odin because she's got like ravens hanging out with her and mm-hmm. she has that. that wizardy look. And the serpent thing is in this wrecked castle that she wakes up in and he like sticks his head through the window and like tries to kill her but can't. Like she keeps blocking it with a weird bubble shield. Right. And he's like starts getting pissed off and they have a conversation. Yeah, which is really strange. And he like yeah. talks about how he's there to end the world and that he, for some reason he can't end the world because she's preventing him from doing it and that's why he's trying to kill her and and this is kind of what I'm talking about where like that that scene in in a movie where about a third of the way through the full mm-hmm. film that mm-hmm. shows like the power of the enemy like the antagonist and like, yeah, it's just really weird. Like, yeah. it's weirdly placed because it's almost at the end of the, the game. Like, there's only it two is, more. It's, it's right in the middle of chapter five where you're not 
you've only got two chapters left. It's probably two thirds of the way through the game. Yeah, easy. Even though chapter six is, I think, the longest chapter in the game. Mm-hmm. Five fucking days of this bullshit. But we'll get to that in a hot minute. Yeah, but yeah. So then Juno talks to Ivan in his sleep and tells him to meet her at Sigurholm. And then everything goes back to Underdoft and it's back to right where you were basically when you left off in chapter four and you get to another major decision. Ivan needs to leave and go to Sigurholm. But before he leaves, he wants to blow up this ancient, ancient Varl bridge that is like a monument of historic racial pride for these people. And like, yeah. The greatest builders in the world made it and like all you know it, it's a huge national treasure basically and this ancient monument and this dude wants to blow it up and even tell straight up tells the leader like we need to blow the bridge yeah. and prevent the dredge from getting in here or you're all going to die yep and he's like no we're not blowing up the bridge that's stupid yeah <laughs> and it, it not only is that you say that's stupid but he just vociferously yells at the guy for a good five minutes straight saying how much of an idiot he is for even thinking of blowing up yeah. a bridge that signifies such beauty and the pinnacle of a viral achievement and yeah. by the time the chapter ends you blow up the fucking bridge <laughs> yeah um so your the choices you get are to basically just leave like leave einertoft and head start heading to Sigurholm. Mm-hmm. without doing it without doing anything uh you can stay and blow up the bridge against the wishes of this varl leader to keep the dredge out and try and save the varl or you can stay and fight alongside the varl and probably die like everyone else so what did you do i took about 20 minutes to make this decision <laughs> yeah it is it is a rough decision i seriously sat and like just stared at the screen for like 20 minutes trying to figure out what I should do. And like that is a mark of a good game, in my opinion. Like Absolutely. The fact when that, you agonize like, over a decision. Yeah. Like, and, and it was like definitely waffling back and forth. And finally, I was like, you know what? They have the right to make this choice to try and make a, a valiant last stand. Let's just go. And then Ivan was like, dude. We need to. We can't just let the varl die because they'll basically go extinct. We have to do something. So I went. Ah, God damn it! Fine, and uh, we blew up the. We killed some dredge. We blew up the bridge. Sure. I think we killed a varl or two, trying yeah. to blow up the bridge, and then we got kicked out. Yeah. So... And banished. And Ivor got banished with us because yeah. we were his guests. So by this point. I was uh, playing with the walkthrough, and by the way, not only can you die in chapter, can Eagle die in chapter two and chapter six? He can die here as well, because this motherfucker is the most fragile bitch on the planet, apparently. Man, someone's out there. <laughs> so, yeah, some motherfucker up there does not like Eagle. I like him personally. I hoped he would have survived, but that's not the point. So I ended up uh, staying for a little while since I was playing with the walkthrough. Mm-hmm. You end up blowing up the bridge anyway. By the time the chapter ends, the bridge is going to blow up regardless. So I ended up staying, helping out, and fighting off the dredge as as long as I could before the Varl finally blew up the bridge. And we did not get banished. We He just said, I hate this. I, I don't like the idea, but it needs to be done. Yeah. You ask goblins, apparently. According to your notes, Paul wrote, fuck it, fine, blow it up. You ask goblin. 
Yeah, I, it ended up uh, being just the king just kind of yells at them for a good solid minute and then says, just fucking blow it up. And then you leave and he's just like, don't come back for a while. Okay, so when we, after we blew up the bridge, we headed out. Um, depending on what you chose, you can either be banished from Einertoft or just kind of the king grudgingly shoving you out the door. After this, chapter six uh, is... <clears throat> a lot of traveling. It is. Uh, so while there's not much to it, it is arguably the longest chapter in the game because you're it's, basically on the road the entire time. It, yeah, it's all just the slow crawl of road travel. But there is a probably my favorite moment of the game is in this one, and I think it's unintentionally hilarious. Like, I don't think they intended for it to be a funny moment, but mm-hmm. the way, just the, just a great moment. So you're traveling down the road, like the human caravan's going, and Ubin brings his caravan and catches up with you. And he just comes to warn you that Belor is no longer sieging Einertoft and has started following the party. Yep. And while he's talking about all this, Ubin goes, I thought one of you might know why. And then the camera just pans to Ivan and he's just standing there like fiddling with his staff. And it's just, it doesn't say anything and it's because he's like standing next to the person who's getting ready to talk. But it's yeah. just this very funny of like, maybe one of you knows what's going on, right? 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 It's a, it's a huge <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge moment that gives you the, gives the player a good little laugh at it. Yeah. and But I don't know if it was done intentionally because it's, it's fairly subtle, but it was just being in the story at that moment in time it was just this very funny juxtaposition that was kind of consider the source of where this this is coming from i think that they could be subtle enough to do that wink wink nudge nudge and kind of pass it off as something that just happened yeah this is true so there's again is a weird moment where you get another decision to t- to make cuz you're going down the road and the dredge are following behind you and closing in. And so you have a couple of options. You can either try to take the summer path, which is theoretically being overrun by dredge uh, and fight your way through the summer path. You can take the long way around and go through Hawkstorp, or you can turn around and wait for Bellower to catch up with you and fight. So I went around and took the long way to Hawkstorp. I think I did as well. It felt like a better idea to me. Yeah. Because I didn't want to pull up and fight because Bellower was on the way. And I felt like that there is probably no way that you're going to do this with any sort of... This isn't the time to fight him. Put it that way. Exactly. I don't know. Uh, After that, um, you pass a couple of godstones on the way through Hawkstorp. And and finally... are yep. fucking fantastic like they're they just are, these really cool giant rune stones and like they just look great they're and, lore posts yeah. I, I felt like they were they were the lore of the game and what little trickle you got from that because that's still a sticking point with me mm-hmm. <laughs> well the cool part is like i think you could probably spend i don't know a good at least half an hour to an hour just reading the map like yes, looking at all the absolutely. things on the map and clicking on stuff and reading the little story blurb for that location and like 
I feel like more than an hour you could spend. You could spend a a good solid day if you really wanted to. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. Like, I mean, you get some good good stuff in this. I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a they clearly did a lot of research, and there's it's very clear that they did a lot of world building here just to basically mimic Norse mythology in a way that is easily digestible. Yeah. And I mean, you recognize kind of the calls and homages to the mythology, but at the same time, it's not directly ripping it. Yes. It it made something really, really unique while at the same time, like borrowing just enough. And it's extremely clear that it's an homage, not a a ripoff. Yeah. That's one way to put it. Okay. There's, There's a term I'm trying to think of that I can't appropriating maybe there you go cultural appropriation yeah that one yeah it's it's not like plagiarizing yeah same same thing but yeah it's not trying to find the word you were looking for yeah cultural appropriation i think is is probably the closest to what i'm thinking of um but yeah it's it's not cultural appropriation to like you know marvel's thor it's uh it's like literally taking like kind of distilling the stuff down and and paying homage to it as opposed to anything. I don't know. It was good. But yeah, so eventually you you actually do get to Sigur Home, and Sigur Home has again been totally fucked up by the serpent and is now sinking into the lake. And you get to start waiting for Juno to show up. Yep. And, and depending on how long you wait, some good shit could happen or a lot of shitty shit could happen. Yeah. So it starts with uh, Oddleaf, who is the wife of the former leader of this tribe. Basically, Rook takes over, but Oddleaf was the matron before. Like, she passed the mantle to Rook in the story. And she and Ivan are arguing about whether to stay and wait for Juno or leave and get the fuck out of there because they don't need to stay in Sigurholm. For me, I stayed for a few days, like maybe about a week, and mm-hmm. she didn't show up yet. So mm-hmm. and bandits and shit from Sigurholm kept stealing my shit and I ran out of supplies. So I was like, fuck it. I need to go to the next city or like all of my people are going to die. So I left and head for Reynavik. Yeah. The reasoning Oddleaf uh, basically said, hey, Rook, you should probably do this. It was very, I don't know how to say this. It's, it's a very patriarchal nation in that they probably wouldn't have followed her. So she's like, hey, you should probably lead because they're following you already anyway. Yeah. And you even offer like, no, no, I will fully back you. You keep leading. And I'm pretty sure you could probably talk her into leading, but you probably are still going to make all the decisions. I don't think you can. Just judging by the way the story goes toward the end, I don't think you could. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway, at that point, do you remember when I mentioned that you shouldn't take Onif's offer? Here's where it ends badly. So as you're on the road to Reynavik, Onif pulls Rook aside and goes, hey, I think these Varl are a bunch of fuckers and we need to like get them out of here. Like they don't need to travel with us anymore. Yep. It should just be humans. Fuck the Varl. And you, or at least me, I was like, man, go fuck yourself. These guys are good. They're staying with us. Yep. And then Onif stabs you in the gut. Yeah. And then stabs odd leaf in the back. Yeah. Then he slits slits Eagle's throat. (laughs) Yeah. And kidnaps Alette. Basically, 
everything goes sideways if you end up taking ONF's offer. The only flip side to that, the only good thing about accepting Onus offer is that you get a nice, powerful character to stay with you. And that is his uh, quote-unquote insane brother-in-law. I can't remember the guy's name for the life of me. Ikel. Yeah, that's him. He's a grudge wielder. He is a very powerful character, and he is also a shield shield bearer type character. So he kind of makes up for Eagle's loss, but at the same time, I... Far prefer to have Eagle on my side than I would this dude, because the Raid Master talents are really, really powerful. Plus, he's a let's love interest, man. You got to get her laid, right? I'm not sure that's the goal of <laughs> someone's father. Just go with it, okay? Anyway, uh, after that, after the shit going sideways, um, Ivan heals Rook, and all you find out after Rook wakes up that he also saved. Oddleaf. You finally get to Reynavik after burying uh, Agel and accepting Echel into your party. Agel, Echel, whatever. And there's this... I think you should tell this this part of the story because there's this hilariously awesome Varl named Sigbjorn. Oh, God, I love Sigbjorn. He's so much fun. So, so yeah, so everyone kind of gets put back together and you get to Reynavik and it's been completely overrun by Dredge. And at some point, you're like sitting there watching the town, and a Varl runs out of the mead hall, waves his arms around to get someone's attention, and then runs back in the mead hall. And you're like, "What, what the, the fuck?" fuck? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> what the fuck was that? Um, <laughs> and then, so you have a couple of options: you can either ignore him and leave, or go see what the hell's going on, because like some dredge followed him back into the mead hall, and you're like, yep. "Okay, cool." Yep. So you can either go help or leave. And we I went to help because... Yeah, I, I highly recommend going to help because rescuing Sigbjorn sets up a very beneficial thing for Chapter 7. Yeah. So you get inside the meat hall and there's a couple of dredge in Sigbjorn and you help Sigbjorn kill the dredge and you notice that there's a whole bunch of humans in the meat hall, like the whole town... And basically, he's just been luring Dredge in there and killing them one after the other after the other because he's completely shit-faced mm-hmm. because he's drunk all the mead. Well, half of it. Yeah, half of it. Which, to be quite honest, it's a lot of mead. Like, it, the entire mead hall was stocked with it in its basement. Yeah. So he's pretty pissed. Yeah, so after after leaving Ranovic, you head for Bjorsgaard, Along the road, Sigbjorn sobers up and he tells you, like, you find out that he was sent from Bjorsgard to Reynavik to get mead and bring it back, but he accidentally drank half of it. <laughs> you have the rest of the half with you, so you're taking it, taking all that mead supply with you, but that dude polished off a lot of the fucking mead, and you have a lot with you. Yeah. So he drank a fucking shitload of mead. And then you finally get to Bjorsgard and the dredge are surrounding the city, basically. And they have, they're at the gates. Chapter 7 is the Siege of Bjorsgard, and it is the final chapter of the game. So a group of these Varl mercenaries called the Ravens are basically running all of Bjorsgard and acting as guards. And at the beginning here, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to do because you have, I think, a week, or is it only five days? Um, uh, I think it's, I think it's th- only five days. So you got a work week to do to work with. 
Good. But I don't think you know. Like you don't find out. Like no, they, no, no, you don't. They're just like, all right, it's a fucking siege, man. You get to pick what you're gonna help with every day, and we're just gonna try and last as long as we can. Because basically, what happens is, as soon as you get there, like, well, one, you have to kind of talk your way in, and if you have Sigbjorn with you, he vouches for you, and you get in. This is uh, why I told you to take Sigbjorn and Ivan because he's a mender is immediately taken to go speak with the governor. And while he's gone, you guys go to the docks and try and figure out a passage out of the town. Like they're trying to get a boat to get the fuck away from the dredge and Bellor. There's no boats because they're all gone. Like anyone who, you know, has half a brain has already left. And Ivan manages to convince the governor to build boats but the only thing that they have to build boats with is the buildings in the city. So they're going to, you know, break down buildings that are already kind of dilapidated and being abandoned and uh, make boats and then sail for the human capital, which is Angraband or something like that. I don't remember. I'm and sorry. Agrimar. Ogrimar. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> so basically, here's where the, here's really what I kind of re- recommend doing. You have four choices at the beginning of each day. You can ensure a safe place to stay for the caravan, join Ivor defending the city walls, find a source for supplies, or lend a hand to the shipbuilders. Yeah. These four choices you have every day, but once you choose something one, three, or four, that disappears. However, joining Ivor and defending the city walls is always present. Yeah. And part of this is you find out that basically because you're having to scavenge wood, it's going to take a month to build the boats. Yeah. And so you're in the siege and you need to last a month before the boats will be built. That's what they're telling you anyway. Yeah. So that's, you're like, oh, fuck. Crap. Like, <laughs> yeah, you feel like you're you are completely fucked. However, you're not. I promise. Uh, it, it will end in a semi-positive note. Let's get to it. All the options that you were available to on day one, I would recommend at least ensuring a safe place to stay for the caravan first. Day two, join Ivor in defending the city walls. On day three, you'll be informed of increased activity of the dredge and the appearance of a major player of the dredge, Stone Singers. The same choices in the last two days will be there. With one exception, you'll investigate the riots at the docks. And if you do that, you can join the Ravens defending the ships because there's riots there trying to, to destroy the ships. You can try to calm down the people, get up on the roof to fire arrows into the crowds, or just say fuck it and leave it to the Ravens. Personally, I recommend helping the Ravens fight the Stone Singers, which makes the rest of the game a little bit easier. Now on day four is where things get a little bit dicey. Uh, if you didn't help Ivor much over the last few days, the Dredge will bust through the main gates. And you'll have four new choices! And this is where I made the observation of the game is make a fucking decision right now, fuck it, asshole, the game. Your first choice is try to stop him at the gate and the fight here will play at the gate and you'll lose a shit ton of clansmen. Uh, choice two is protect your clansmen above all else, which you'll fight inside one of the buildings and after a win, you'll only lose a few clansmen. You can alert the ravens for choice three, which is a different battle inside the city and another few clansmen are lost, about the same as, as number... I think it's a little bit more than number two, but this is my choice personally, was alerting the ravens so that everybody can be safe. Number four is ambush them as they enter, which another battle ensues, and you'll lose another shit ton of clansmen. Two and three are probably the best way to go if you're forced into this particular decision. Now, in day five, 
whatever bullshit that happened on day four, regardless of what you've done the previous days, it all comes down to this. Ivan will point out that Hank on army finally arrives, and he'll head out to meet them. Battle ensues as you go, and it's a fairly standard one. It's kind of ho-hum, just beat the shit out of things, continue on with your day. After that, you'll see another cutscene, in which you'll learn that Hakon, Moger, and ass-headed extraordinary Prince Luden, and Juno... Juno? Didn't we wait for her for seven days? Anyway, they'll all have arrived in Borsgard. Uh-huh. You'll be joined by a large number of Varl and a good chunk of supplies. When all hope seems lost, Hakon shows up to kick ass. Yeah, Dan just uh, decided to throw a note in there. But no, that's that was my my notes on like yeah, like shit's getting really run down. Morale is pretty shitty, and it's just like, oh man, we are totally fucked. And then like, yeah, Hacken rides in with this party and fucks everything up. And you basically have to like run out and like make a hole like in the dredge so that he can ride in. Like their their group can come in, which is pretty awesome. It's a pretty like yeah, fuck yeah, we need to like get him in here, and you know you have some incentive to fight which is kind of cool yeah it was a very much a gandalf the white moment when he shows up with uh, the the horseman so the next bit is rook kind of gets pulled aside by juno and is asked to leave with her to leave Boersgard. yeah she's like you need to come with me right now and you're like uh why he's like shut up and come with me <laughs> and you're all okay let's let's rock so you guys leave and eventually like go near this godstone that's called stravs i guess yeah that's how it's pronounced that's how i would i don't know it's i pronounce it stravs but it's yeah s-t-r-a-v-h-s you fucking figure it out yeah so juno has this amazing master plan and so here's the deal bellor because he's a sunder cannot be killed yeah like he can't die fuck so what you're going to do is you're going to break some of the silver off of Strav's godstone and make it into a magic silver arrow. And you're going to use the magic silver arrow to penetrate Bellower's armor to make him think he can be killed. And then you're going to beat the shit out of him with your swords and axes to make him think that he is being killed. And then he's kind of going to be dead because he thinks he's dead. And then eventually he'll figure out he's not dead and he'll wake back up and be really pissed off. So basically you're just going to pull the wool over his eyes for a while and hope for the best. Yes. You're going to trick him into thinking he's dead, even though he can't die. And he knows knows he can't die. Yeah. It sounds like a fantastic plan. Yeah. Nothing can go wrong. Nothing no, can nothing possibly at all. go wrong. Yeah, nothing. Now, basically you're going to go ahead and uh, get all of the shit from Straub's, which is a all the magical silver is in it. So at that point, you get all the magical silver and head back to Borsgard, and you're prepping to really wreck Bellower's day. So here's your prep. Promote your heroes. I cannot stress this enough. Promote, promote, promote. You can get them to level five. Okay, after that, you head to the crafters, you make the silver arrow. The conversation between Rook and Alette is super fucking important. Mm -hmm. I cannot stress this enough. It is the pivotal moment of the game and a pivotal moment for Rook and Alette. There is two possible endings to the game. Yep. And since we're in spoiler territory, I'm going to talk about this at length. Depending on who you choose to take the Silver Arrow is the one who's going to die fighting Bellower. And you know this. You basically know that going in, whoever has the Magic Arrow is the one that Bellower is going to focus on. As soon as that Magic Arrow hits him, he's going to focus on that person. Like It's made very, very clear in this. But yes. 
why I think this is a great conversation is because it's much, much earlier in the game, in chapter two, I believe, you're forced to fight some humans, not dredge, humans. Yeah. And Alette is super freaked out by this because she doesn't want to kill people. She's okay with fighting dredge. She doesn't want to kill humans. Yeah. And this shows her growth over the course of the game because here she's like, all right, I'm a big girl now. I want to do it. I want to shoot the arrow. Like I want to do it. It's me. It's my turn to be to be the grown up. And my end of this conversation was I asked her if she was sure, you know, like, you know, are you sure? Are you really sure? Are you really really sure? Yep. All right, cool. I trust you. Like as a dad, I you say you're good. I trust you. You're a better shot than me anyway. <laughs> and she is. She's a much better shot than Rook. Absolutely. Like now she, Rex, if you get her to level five, she oh, yeah. wrecks shit. It's so hilarious. Like, it's so good. Now, I will say one caveat. If you end up having a let to kill another human, because you do fight humans throughout the game, she will make a very heart-wrenching statement after killing that human. Yeah, you talk to her and she's like, she just she's not happy at all with No, not, not just that, but in the middle of battle, she's just you can you can see that she was very torn up by it. Yeah. Now, yeah. the way I did it, I was like because I know that that you find out that later on in the game, during this game, that Rook was unable to save his wife. He was unable to protect his wife. He is absolutely 100% in the realm of, I need to protect my daughter. I need to do this. I couldn't protect Aldis, my wife. I have to protect Alette. That's yeah. why I chose Rook to take the metaphorical silver arrow in the chest. Yeah. Uh, so... After this fight, there's a nice long cutscene of what happens in the aftermath. Alette is absolutely heartbroken for me. I don't know what happened to Rook. I assume it's the same. Oh, yeah. Basically, yeah. they they take one of the ships that they were building to leave and give, you know, Alette to the hero pyre on the river. Yeah. She gets sent off on, like, this cool little journey into the afterlife. Like, so it's kind of cool. Like, you spend the whole time, like, traveling across the screen on the road. And like at the end of the game, the boat that's on fire and the fire is the banner of the boat and the right. you know, the boat travels along and gets to the, you know, afterlife. And it's, it is a really cool and probably the absolute most beautiful part of the game artistically. Like, holy shit, does it look awesome? I couldn't agree more. The same thing happens to Rook in this case. They basically just kind of palette swap, so to speak. Yeah. And it is breathtaking yeah, i think like, is a good term for it yeah like all the humans and all of Varl are standing on the shore to see the boat off and yeah it's it is a, a great scene and it's definitely a hero like a hero's send-off but it goes on its own trip and its own little journey yeah and it's kind of sad well congratulations we completed the banner saga so i guess now you wait for the sequel so you can figure out what the fuck is going on Yes, I definitely am going to play the sequel. I will. I think I once it comes down in price to a reasonable rate for me, like I think ten bucks is reasonable. I'm going to play the sequel. And I'm going to enjoy it. I think. I I can't imagine that they will not continue with the same characters. If they change the characters, I'll be a little bit concerned because you've already got so much built up with these people. Definitely. But I don't yeah, think there's a lot changed up. It's it looks like it's all the same characters. Yeah, I, I I haven't looked unfortunately. This is the first time I've thought about Banner Saga since completing it. Apparently, but, there's a survival mode in Banner Saga too, and that scares the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, me too. That's a little bit concerning. Anyway, on the whole, 
absolutely 100% recommend this game. I think $20 is a bit steep for what you get, but 10, 15 bucks, you know, I think I'd be okay with that. Yeah. So what's our next game? So, all right. You chose this one, right? Yes. This is my decision because I wanted to do this because it's an interesting idea. Like just the idea is kind of cool and we're going rogue on this one, guys. A little bit. If you're just joining us again, coming back back from the other side of Spoilerville, welcome back. And let's, let's talk about this game right now. The entire world is apparently having Pokemon fever because Pokemon Sun and Moon are the best-selling games in the fucking world right now. They have outsold Call of Duty. Yep. They've outsold Titanfall. Mm-hmm. They've outsold Battlefield. They've outsold like, Final Fantasy 15 as well. Yes. Like Pokemon is kicking the shit out of everyone right now, which is awesome. Like it's hilarious. It's great. But there is a Pokemon title that Nintendo doesn't want you to play. Oh yes. There's a Pokemon title that is banned by Nintendo with a cease and desist order. Indeed. It is is called Pokemon Uranium. If you haven't heard, this was in the news a little while ago. Pokemon Uranium was a fan-made Pokemon game. Mm -hmm. Um, It is kind of the Nintendo DS era look and feel for the game. It is PC, and you can find it. If you are willing to look, you can find this game and download it and install it and play it. It is only available for PC. You can play it for Mac if you use a, or Linux if you use Wine emulation, but that's a whole other thing. There are actual guides out there for getting it run running on Linux and Mac if you are so inclined. But that is our next game. It is free because Man, the game say that with technically quotes. doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. So you can find it. You can definitely find it. But yes, so we were playing an illicit game, a banned game. But it took them nine years to make this Pokemon game. And it took Nintendo nine years to ultimately serve the cease and desist. Yeah. But it released and very famously, so the game came out, like they officially released it. A million people downloaded the game. On the day of release, I think. Within the first week, and then okay. within the first week, Nintendo issued like sent them a cease and desist letter. But over a million people downloaded the game, yeah, and and signed up for accounts. So mm-hmm. I think it's cool. I'm looking forward to it. I've I've put about five or six hours in, and it feels like a Pokemon game. Like most of the Pokemon are custom to this game, but like they they use the Pokeballs and stuff like that. I've I've seen one, like I've I've run across two Mankeys. Okay. And KO'd both of them because of <laughs> because of because of type You're advantage overpowered. by, by yeah. accident. Well, I just I used the weakest attack I possibly could, but it was a critical strike on a type advantage double damage. So it was super, yeah. super effective and just obliterated yeah. the Mankey before I could do anything. I was like, God damn it. Yeah, whoopsie daisy. So, if you get a shot, grab Pokemon Uranium, play along with us. It'll be another your usual month and a half before we get to the next episode. So, yes. you got plenty of time to play this. And it is a Pokemon game. Paul looked it up on the time to complete, uh, like time to beat website that he normally uses, and it says yes. about 44 hours. So, it is, it is a real RPG. Like, yes. we're, we're, we're going, we're going for it. Yeah, I looked at looked that sucker up on howlongtobeat.com how and it said, I think, like 44 and a half hours. And I was like, 
I don't have time for 44 and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> and then I told him, dude, you have a month and a half. Yeah, but still. It's just a couple hours a day. <laughs> like an hour a day. <laughs> an hour a day gets a dude. <laughs> okay. So, next game, Pokemon Uranium. Long story short, Banner Saga, buy it, play it, enjoy it. If you want to find us, you can find us over on facebook.com slash Gaming. If you want to tweet at us, you can find uh, Dan running the at Loadedcard account. You can find me at Paul Cluel. If you want to email us, it is podcast at loadcardgaming.com, shop at loadcardgaming.com, and paul at loadcardgaming.com. If you'd like to head over to our Reddit thread, it is slash r slash Gaming. If you want to head over to our website, it is loadcardgaming.com. And if I haven't said that enough, it is loadcardgaming.com. And we have one more thing to add. It is the Patreon. We are still looking for Patreon donors. If you'd like to just kick in a dollar or three to help us start up the uh, the company, we would really appreciate that. And uh, one more thing, too. Uh, you can head over to iTunes, and we would appreciate a review. doesn't have to be five stars. We'd appreciate it, but if you want to give us some honest feedback on what you'd like to see on the show, if you have any sort of feedback on guests that you might want to see back, please leave that there. We'd appreciate that. No, and we have a new Patreon supporter I think we need to give a shout out to. We absolutely do. So, Drew, Drew Roland of Hops and Heroes, if you are out there and listening, thank you for your support on Patreon. We, we, we sincerely appreciate it. We do. <laughs> I, I, we do I, every one of everyone who donates to, to Patreon, I, I cannot thank you enough. Just the fact that you want to listen to us continue to make this podcast is, is heartwarming. Indeed, indeed. So, anything else to add? No, it's been a pleasure uh, talking Banner Saga. I really enjoyed it. I hope everybody else enjoys it too. And on that note, why don't you guys go play it? Here's some smooth jazz to play you out. fucking little that can probably get cut too no i'm gonna leave that in the, for the stinger yep yelling at my cat that's gonna be the stinger it's me yelling at my fucking cat yeah that's right you fucking lay down fuck you fuck you fuck you <laughs> brought to you by PETA. <laughs> okay bye, bye.